Adoption Now, telling your adoption story, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now, here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. So big announcement, we're going back to podcast only. You can find all of those podcasts at adoption-now.com. My mom, who was on the show a few weeks ago, has been diagnosed with cancer. And it's been a huge shock to our family, so I'll be taking some time off the summer to help her. We have a few weeks left here on 94.7 FM, and we have some great stories lined up. Today, I have Chris Prang Morgan joining us from Wisconsin. Hi, Chris. Hi. I'm so happy you're here. Chris is an adoptive mother of two children from China. She has worked 10 years in mental health social work and is currently a hospital chaplain. She is also a writer and wrote an amazing article for the Huffington Post called What Nobody Tells You About Parenting a Child with a History of Extreme Trauma. That article is one of the best articles I've ever read on trauma. And that article got you on the Megyn Kelly Show on NBC, and that's where we saw you, Chris. (laughs) Great. So I reached out, and I want your story on Adoption Now because it is so important for people to hear your message. You're a big advocate for parents getting the help they need and taking care of themselves, not just focusing on the child. And you're passionate about that because in your story, after adoption, you ended up in an accident and lost your leg. And one of the things that you said to me was, I was trying to save this little boy's life, and in that process, I almost lost mine. And I think so many parents can relate to that and are struggling. So I'm excited to have you on the show. I'm excited to hear your entire story. Let's start with why you and your husband chose adoption. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, we we married later in life. I was 36 and my husband was 42. And uh, so we, we kind of knew when we married that we were going to be trying to catch up pretty quickly. And um, so, you know, we tried getting pregnant and... It, that wasn't happening necessarily very quickly in the very beginning. And I knew that whatever it kind of came down to the realization that however we were going to become parents, it wasn't just going to kind of come naturally. So we started looking at our options and we realized, you know, we let's, we're, we're fine with doing the adoption thing. I mean, for us, uh, conceiving biologically wasn't that important. And we, um, felt like we had the resources to go ahead and, and to um, adopt our kiddos. And um, we looked into all of the different, you know, all the different reasons to go ahead with parenting in any particular way. And uh, adoption just seemed to really fit for us. We liked the idea of multiculturalism, and we were both very interested in understanding, like, lots of different um, different personality types and all that kind of stuff. So we were like, yeah, yeah this is going to be an exciting way to raise a family, pretty much. Why did you choose China? At the time, this would have been in 2006-2007, the Chinese program was considered the most predictable program. And I had heard lots of stories at that time about, you know, parents who were expecting and then, you know, the biological mom changed her mind and, um, or, you know, situations where other countries were closing their programs for various reasons. And China seemed pretty stable. So we said, okay, we're going we're gonna to do China. And that kind of changed a little bit throughout the process, and it, it continues to change. I mean, as all of us adoptive parents know, uh, we know that there's no predictability in any of this, just like in, in a mm-hmm. pregnancy. So 
Yeah. Right. So you think that- you think if you're paying, you have some control and you don't. Right. Oh, absolutely. You kind of just throw right. yourself out there and, and hope for the best. And you start off super positive and, and things get crazy. But in that process, you got matched to a little girl. Yeah. So in that process, um, we saw this little gal online and um, she just kind of jumped out to me. And my husband thinks that I'm crazy when I talk about this because I could tell in her little stance where she was sort of sitting in this chair with her elbow on the on the armrest of the chair and looking at the camera that she was a little spitfire and just, I don't know, she just spoke to me and I could tell. And they said, you know, I think, I think we've got to bring her home. I can just tell. And my husband's like, how could you tell? You know, she's just a little kid. You know, she was 18 months in the, in the photograph and uh, she had a cleft palate. And um, my husband works in education and we had really, really good health insurance. And um, I just said, you know, We've been, we don't have a particularly a lot of financial resources, but we've got these great medical resources here in Children's Hospital of Wisconsin is here and they had a great surgeon and great medical team. And we looked into that and we said, you know, let's, let's do this. And she attached fairly quickly, right? Fairly quickly. I mean, retrospectively at that particular time, it was hard in the beginning because she had no understanding of what a family was. I mean, she was in an orphanage in China uh, with, you know, lots of children in one room and caregivers and nannies. So, um, you know, obviously it wasn't like, mom, you know, Mm -hmm. my long lost mother here. Um, You know, (laughs) so for me, you know, I was a, I was a typical expectant mother. I was expecting things to be like, oh, you know, very emotional. I mean, it was emotional, but it was sort of different than I expected. Shocking? Were you um, so, shocked? Um, I was just, you know, looking back, I think I was just kind of taking it in. Like when they brought Jade into the room, uh, she was kind of looking all around. She wasn't crying. She wasn't, and she was just sort of surveying the situation, which is similar to her personality today. Uh, she's just a little a studier and she's pretty smart and trying to figure it all out. Um, so yeah, for me, I was just like, okay, all right, just sort of take it as it comes. And, um, you know, she wasn't like affectionate with me, which, you know, was, I realized was a good thing because it would have been strange for her to just right away Mm -hmm. be affectionate with me. Uh, so all those things in retrospect, you know, led me to realize that her care was actually pretty, pretty good at the orphanage. Uh, she had what, this was the thing that I think was the kicker for her. She had a little friend um, that was a crib mate right next to her. And there were lots of pictures of her and this little gal. And they were little buddies. And I think they were each other's little, you know, toddler support system. Aww. And what, they cared about each other. Yeah. What happened to that little girl? She was actually adopted a couple of weeks by her mother. And they live in Maine. Uh, and, uh, and she sent pictures. And her mom sent pictures to us while she was there as she went back to the orphanage, which was really cool. So she was adopted a couple of weeks before Jade was adopted. I uh, love that. Which, you know, yeah. And, and it's interesting because I, I often think about what that was like for her. Like here, this little, her only friend in the world. I mean, her, her support was kind of like taken from her when she was there. And, and she, I'm sure was just horrified because she came back for a quick visit with this, you know, Caucasian mother and then she was gone again. I mean, I, I've got to wonder what that's like for a toddler. But anyway, 
I realize now that um, the fact that that was a connection for her um, was was really we're pretty lucky that way. And we actually just a little side note: we went to visit her this past summer and her mom and the, the girls. You know, they're both thirteen now. They sort of reconnected, and it wasn't like this. Well, you know, the sky opened up and this re- mm-hmm. reunification. <laughs> it was more like. Oh, yeah, this is kind of weird. And, you know, I, I do know you, but we're, they're getting kind of reacquainted. So, um, and it's neat because, you know, my husband and and uh, Emma's mom, we were, like, more emotional about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just like, this is so cool. But, um, that but is yeah, so sweet. the girls are... Pardon? It is so sweet. You know, I always tell people in the process of all of this, pray for your children early on. Even when you just start the process, pray for the workers that are taking care of your child. Pray for friends, like you're saying, you know, somebody that they feel loved and that they feel connected to because making a connection as a baby is so important. And when children don't have any connection and then they come to you at 18 months, it is very difficult to rebuild that. And you don't think it would be. You think, oh, well, they're under five. They'll be fine. But those, those months that they didn't feel loved are pivotal. And so we have to be very proactive as adoptive parents to, to praying and doing what we can while the child is waiting to come home. You know, sometimes parents are waiting and they can move their child from a foster or or from an orphanage to a foster care situation, or they can go visit and make sure that, you know, their child has food and, and, and pay for the resources that the child needs before they go and get the child. So we always encourage people to be very proactive even before you bring the child home. How long after you brought Jade home did you decide to adopt again? Uh, I would say it was about six months after we had her home. Uh, it was like it was wow. basically Chinese. Yeah, it was Chinese New Year, so we adopted Jade um, in July. And then when we were in this whole time, we were thinking, "Oh my gosh, she's got so much energy. She's going to drive us crazy because we were it, you know." And we were always engaging her and playing. And by the end of the day, my husband and I were just ready to like sack out. We were so tired. Um, so we said, you know, we're going to want to probably have a sibling. And uh, we were talking to a friend of ours at the Chinese New Year celebration here. And she made some suggestions and started sending links <laughs> to different waiting children. And um, so by that March, um, we were like, oh, we saw, you know, several children that were waiting. And cleft palate was something we were comfortable with. Um, and there was a little guy online that and my daughter, I laugh because when my daughter was in middle or was in uh, kindergarten, she was, was writing something about, um, her adoption experience. And she talked about my mom found my, 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 uh, brother online and ordered him. <laughs> oh gosh! <laughs> so I have to like back up because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, people don't realize um, how intense the whole process was. Right. It took place over the computer, but <laughs> we right. saw his his file online and, and you know, read a little bit about um, Kai, who turned out to be her brother down the road. Um, yeah, so it was it was actually six months that we made the decision and then 18 months to the date where we actually brought Kai home. Wow. Okay. So they're pretty close in age. We have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what that was like to bring Kai home. You're listening to Adoption Now. I'm April Fallon. We'll be right back. 
94.7 FM, The Word. I've died every day waiting for you. Hi, this is Noah, April's husband. Thank you for tuning in to Adoption Now. Adoption Now is a nonprofit helping families connect to adoption through storytelling. Do you have an adoption story you would like to share? We invite you to be a part of the Adoption Now community by telling your story on our show. Come tell us about the joy and challenges you have experienced in the adoption process. Go to adoption-now.com for more information. By sharing what you have learned, we can inspire others. Welcome back to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today, we're talking to Chris Praying Morgan, and we are talking about her story. She brought home two children from China. She's on her way right now in the story to bring home her second child. And she is a huge advocate for parents getting the help that they need in the process of adoption and after adoption. You went through a lot, Chris. The adoptions with Jade and the adoption with Kai was two totally different situations. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, So with our daughter, it was pretty, I mean, once we got through the initial six months or so, once we were, had the dossier and everything was sent to China and our travel arrangements were made and we were there and we were with our group. I mean, it was pretty seamless uh, and she didn't have any complications or problems. Uh, and we just kind of wrote it out. Um, we didn't necessarily need too many resources other than medical ones. Uh, and, well, the International Adoption Clinic was helpful, too, for just all the typical stuff when you bring a, a child home from overseas. Uh, with our son, uh, we obviously had anticipated things to be similar, and they were not at all. Um, at that time, there were several Yahoo groups, that uh, parents would join from these different um, adoption organizations. And there was one parent who was over adopting her child. And I remember thinking, wow, I'm not seeing my kid in anyone's pictures. That's kind of odd. And I kept looking and kept looking for pictures of my son. And she said, I'll get pictures this time when I'm there. And she posted them. And I think she thought, we were adopting a different child. So she said, oh, he's in this one. And I looked and it, that wasn't him. But there was this kid in the back that was being held by one of the nannies. And he kind of, he, he was, you could tell he couldn't raise his head and he was real skinny and he had a bandaid on his head. And I was like, holy cow, I think that's, I think that's our son. And my, my husband and I actually got a magnifying glass out and we, you know, pulled it up and we were like, that is, that's him. Oh my God. He does not look good. He looks, he looks really emaciated and I, he doesn't look like he's going to even make it, you know? And it, I was super, super concerned. And I reached out to our adoption agency and I said, look, I think we need to check into this. And I guess they checked, they got in touch with the China center for adoptive affairs to try to get a, an update but that never materialized. I was waiting and waiting and I never got that. So finally I got in touch with an organization outside of this agency and um, she was able to get measurement information and pictures of him. And that confirmed my, all of my worries that, yeah, he looked horrible and um, his, he was only like 13.9 pounds at 21 months. 
So I got in touch with an agency called Love Without Boundaries, and they connected with the orphanage and said, hey, you know what, can we send your your son, or can we send this child, because he was in our kidiat, to um, our pediatric healing facility in Beijing, we think there might be something going on. And and he went there for three months. And essentially, it didn't look like, from what we've learned later, it didn't look like he had any medical problems. It was just that he had failure to thrive. And it looked like he probably wasn't getting much um, attention. Uh, and we know from other parent stories that sometimes children who tend to be a little bit more difficult um, are sometimes left, you know, in a room on their own if they cry too much because, I mean, this is a different culture. This is a culture that's different than ours. We know there's a room full of children and children take a lot of energy and they have limited resources. So it's very likely that they, you know, they put him somewhere else and, you know, he just didn't get what he needed. And being that he had a cleft palate, it was likely he, they just propped a bottle and he didn't suck the milk and he just didn't gain weight. So at Heartbridge, he basically just put on a ton of weight. I mean, they fed him nonstop. In fact, we heard that one of the nurses or one of the nannies that were working, was working with him uh, approached the medical director there and ask if it was possible for a child to explode because he had no satiation response. He had no shutoff uh, when it came to, to food um, or, um, or formula. So we knew that he was definitely starving um, from that experience. So all of that, you know, uh, by the time we, we came to China in February, he had been back at his orphanage by that time for, I believe, four months. And he was actually chunky. You know, when we saw him, we were like, oh, wow, he really plumped out since those photographs. Uh, But when they put him in my lap, he was covered in feces. Uh, He was cried nonstop. Uh, He was obviously not clean. Hadn't, I mean, other than being fed, he hadn't gotten, received good care. And, you know, and I don't blame any particular people. I just look at resources and I'm sure, you know, folks do the best with what they have. But, and, and, you know, some kids, like I look at my daughter who just is a resilient little kiddo. She still is. I mean, regardless of what is in her way, she's going to plow through. You know, my son just doesn't have that same sense of resilience. And uh, so when, we when we finally got him, um, we were like, okay, wow, um, this is different. <laughs> uh, so with the continuing of you know the, the crying and the and the um, his his, skill, his um, ability to sit up, his trunk control was very poor. He wasn't able to stand at all. I mean, we would try to help him, and this was 28 months. So he was. He was 28 months old when we got him, and he felt to me like maybe an eight-month-old, mm-hmm. um, even though he was kind of chunkier. Um, I would pick him up, and he wouldn't give me eye contact. He would actually purse his eyes shut. Um, he would refrain from um, any physical closeness unless he was being fed. 
And then even when he was being fed, he sort of had this visceral response, you know, like it was just this, this amazing experience just to be fed. So, um, but he would throw, he would throw his head back often, um, in protest and he didn't have a sense of self-protection. Uh, when we actually brought him home, he had to learn protective responses from falling and that's the ability to put up your hands, uh, in front of you rather than like, say, fall into the corner of a table when you're learning to walk. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so he was incredibly, incredibly delayed. When you hear this story, all of us moms are thinking, I would take him. I want to take him. You know, I I would stand up for this child and bring this child home. And you did. And it was amazing that you took that step. But mentally, what did that do to you? Well, I had a background in social work. And um, I was always an advocate. That was just part of who I was. I still am, actually. And, uh, you know, and, and I've always done what I can do to get resources for people. And this, and in this case, it was my child. So even when we were on our way back from China, um, I knew that I was going to need to be on the phone with agencies to start working with him, like from the very beginning. So actually, the day after we woke up, and I, you know, obviously, I had a lot of jet lag, I was on the phone with our birth to three program and setting up an appointment for them to come on over. Uh, I was on the phone with children's hospital and that, you know, began the, uh, I guess the chain of events that we needed to start addressing his needs. I mean, and there were tons of those needs in the very beginning. And, you know, as a kind of mama bear, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. We're going to, we're going to figure it out and we're going to get over it and he's going to be normal. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, that was kind of what I was thinking in the beginning. If I just work hard, we're going to get through this and we're going to be a normal family. You know, (laughs) that was sort of the image that we all had. And in those early days, I just was tired. I was every day. I was like, okay, here we go again. You know, this is a new day. How, what, you know, who we're going to connect with today? What appointments are we going to have today? Um, I ended up taking him to, um, out to Virginia to a specialist who works with kiddos that, from international adoptions. And we did uh, a, a neuropsych assessment, and um, the prognosis was pretty poor with that. Uh, it seemed like he, I mean, he, he received lots of different diagnoses from. Um, PDD-NOS, you know, to kind of autism spectrum, um, to um, possibly um, some other disorders, which we kind of ended up ruling out, um, ADHD, uh, speech and language disorder. And he honestly didn't have any understandable language for about a year. I mean, we worked with him to start expressing himself. Uh, and and we took him to the cleft palate team too, so he could start getting all the biology fixed. But um, yeah, I'm just trying to think of some of the other diagnoses. We just had a long list, and we were encouraged to start looking at what the future would look like because we didn't think that um, 
that they didn't think that he would be able to live on, on his own in the future, that he would have some pretty significant developmental delays. So that was depressing. I remember sitting on the floor of the office um, and just bawling, you know, just like, oh, my gosh, this isn't what we expected. Mm-hmm. Um, and but again, you know, I kind of pulled myself up and I said, you know, we're going to we're going to really we're going to work to make this not the reality in the future. You know, we're going to rally the resources around him and and get him to be um, as as much of a member of society as we could. And right. I ended up doing, you know, I just never gave up. Uh, yeah. You said in your article, from a typical parenting perspective, there is nothing normal about raising a child who has experienced trauma. And the article is so good. I really encourage people to to read this article and then put it on Facebook. We have to end the show today, but you're going to come back next week and we're going to talk about how you dealt with that. There is an aspect of taking care of a child that has medical needs, but also taking care of a child that has attachment issues as well. And when they're pushing you away while you're doing all of this stuff for them and you're trying as hard as you can to love them and working hard and taking them to appointments, and yet they are not receiving love or giving love, it is so hard. And you got yourself into a place where you were overstressed, you felt isolated, and you ended up having a terrible accident. And we're going to talk about that next week. I know everybody's going to be like, what? No, why is this ending? But we ran out of time, but you're coming back. And so I'm excited to have you back, Chris. Thank you so much for sharing today the journey and bringing these two children home. Oh, thanks so much for having me share. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook. And remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thank you for tuning in to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week. Thanks for tuning in to Adoption Now. If you'd like to tell your story or for more information about Adoption Now, visit the website at adoption-now.com. You can also find them on Facebook or Instagram. Join us next week as we bring you another adoption story.